well, right? Hey, pastor, just checking in. I just got a raise, promotion, kids are healthy. I'd love more of those phone calls. But usually it's, hey, like, things aren't going so well. Can you meet with my wife and I? So we'll sit down and just hear, like, heartbreaking stories of pain and loss and addiction and broken marriages and broken family systems and financial hardship. And oftentimes they'll even meet with people around their physical health and they'll be asking for healing and, and, and we'll pray and we'll beg God to heal these people and he, he doesn't bring that physical healing the way we want. Or people asking for prayer for their mental health and, and just crying out for their anxiety to be gone, their depression to be gone. And it, it's just not. Like it doesn't always break. Life didn't turn out for them the way that they wanted. I guarantee you when they were 12, they didn't plan to meet with me 20 years later saying, fix my marriage, fix, help, me, help me see Jesus in my health, help me, help me see Jesus in my parenting. They set out with a different goal, a different plan in mind. Does that sound like your story? Did you plan all the aspects of your life 20 years ago, and did it work out as you planned? If you did, call me. I want to know your secret. Um, the rest of us on planet Earth, it didn't turn out as we wanted. There's pieces of our lives that are messy, that are broken, that are hard, that wouldn't have happened if, if maybe things went the way we planned. And so that's where we pick up the story of Joseph today, life just isn't going the way that he planned. If you were here last week, uh, Greg got into Genesis chapter 37. In chapter 37, Joseph has these dreams that his brothers are going to bow down before him and he'll be their ruler. Do you remember what happens next? They, they kidnap him, imprison him, and then they sell him to be a slave. The plans for Joseph's life aren't going the way that he wanted. It's broken, it's messy, it's unconventional. And I think that's a lot of our stories. So we're going to look at Joseph's story today. I want to pray for us and ask for God's grace. And I want you, as I'm praying, to kind of hone in on the areas or pieces of your life that just aren't the way that you would, you would have done it. The areas of your life that you're like, man, I, I wouldn't have planned it that way. All right, let's pray. So God, I pray that you would bring us to a place of honesty, that you'd bring us to a place of self-awareness that life sometimes just doesn't go as well or as happy or as good as what we could have wanted or hoped. And so Jesus, I pray that today we would hear good news in light of life not going how we hoped. Please help me, oh God, to clearly communicate the truths that you want us to leave with. I pray you'd shut down even thoughts in me that, that aren't for us today. So please help us, oh God. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to look specifically at uh, Joseph's story and encountering God in temptation. Joseph's path 
is a path that he took and he wouldn't have chosen to take it. And so what we find in chapter 39, this is a brief outline of the chapter. In verses 1 to 6 and 20 to 23, it's the same theme. It's, it's God's favor on Joseph's life in the middle of hardship. And then we find sandwiched in between God's favor is this idea of temptation, chapter verse 7 to 20. I think that's representative of us. When we encounter hardship, the next thing that flows out of hardship tends to be temptation. Tends to be, hey, what, what can I go to to fix this hardship? What can I go to to make this better? Oftentimes, it's hardship that opens the door to temptation. And so what we're going to do to start off with is we're going to look at the hardship in verses 1 to 6 and 20 to 23, and we're going to put those together, and we're going to look at those first, and then we're going to spend the second half of the sermon looking at the temptation uh, after the God's favor in hardship. So we're going to jump right into verse 1, chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought Joseph. As we go through these next verses, I want you to pay attention to um, the ways that God's favor rests on Joseph. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all he had. Verse 5. Keep keeping track of the ways God's blessing Joseph. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field so that, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything. I don't know if you noticed this, but Joseph is highly favored by God. You could have read that story and just read the fact that Joseph is a slave. I think we oftentimes read our own story and we just see the negative. We just see, man, I'm still stuck in this. I'm still fighting this. I'm still here. And we miss the favor of God on our lives. Just because our circumstances aren't easy doesn't mean his favor isn't with you. Just because life didn't turn out how you hoped, how you wanted, how you dreamed, does not mean that God left you, he's not for you, and his love isn't on your side. His favor rests on Joseph. He's highly favored by God. You and I, as children of God, are highly favored. He's on our side. He's fighting for us. He's looking out for our good. 
We are highly favored. So we're going to fast forward to, uh, to the end of the chapter, to the second half of the hardship that Joseph encounters. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. Verse 20 says, my clicker will work. There we go. Look for the ways that Joseph is blessed as, as this next. Well, let me back up. I got to review what just happened, right? <laughs> so uh, Joseph is a, is a prisoner. He's the head of uh, Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and Joseph is attractive. And so she's like, hmm, I like that. And so she decides to seduce Joseph. So she goes after him. He won't have any of it. She falsely accuses him. And she goes to her husband with this false accusation, and this is what happens. And Joseph's master took him after the false accusation and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. The Lord's still with Joseph in this hardship. Gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. If you're tracking with Joseph's story, he's living as uh, an heir to the kingdom of Israel, maybe the next leader. Now he's been sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers. After that, he raises up to be the head of, the, of a household, probably the best spot he could be as a slave. And now he's in Egyptian prison. I think that maybe our prisons in America are bad, but I can only imagine what prison in Egypt at this time was like. There was no air conditioning. Food, who knows? This was a very hard place to be. And yet, Joseph doesn't waver in his steadfastness to follow God. He stays right on track and what happens? He moves up the ranks again, and he's leading the prison. Not probably very glamorous, but God's favor is on Joseph. Spoiler alert, if you don't know the end of the story, I'm going to give it away a little bit. Joseph, this ends up being the pathway for Joseph's future blessing, for the future blessing of his entire family, and for the entire nation of Israel. Sometimes our current hardship is setting us up for our future blessing. Sometimes what you're walking through right now is setting you up for what God wants 10 minutes from now, 10 hours from now, 10 years from now, 10 decades from now. What you're walking through now may be the only way for God to get you where he needs you to go. Sometimes our current hardship is setting us up for our future blessing. We didn't spend a lot of time on these. I want to spend most of our time on this temptation, but we just looked at verses 1 to 6 and 20 to 23, and we looked at God's favor in the midst of hardship. 
how God was still with Joseph, even though life didn't turn out the way that he wanted. Why is God's favor attached to hardship? And why is hardship so closely connected to temptation? In your and I's life, why is, when we go through hardship, why is it so closely connected with temptation? What is it about temptation that, or hardship that draws out a stronger voice for, t- for temptation? We're going to look at that here. Um, as we do, what we're going to see is we're going to see Joseph fighting temptation. He does it in two phases, and he kind of does five specific things. And if you like lists, if you like to keep notes, this is going to be really easy, and this is going to be your part of the sermon. So um, the two phases are the initial fight, what he does when temptation comes, when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and then there's the ongoing fight, what it looks like day after day for him to battle temptation. I want to make this clear. Sin and temptation are not the same thing. When you're tempted, that's not a sin. I meet with people who beat themselves up because they constantly are aware. They're so self-aware of how they're tempted. And they live in these negative cycles, this negative self-talk, saying, I'm the worst. I'm terrible. I'm tempted like this. Guys, temptation is not sin. Evil, sinful desires are not sinful choices until you make them one. Don't confuse them, because what the enemy will do is say that it's one and the same. He'll say that sin and temptation are the same, so it doesn't matter where you are in that spectrum, just sin, because you already felt it, so if you felt it, then you should do it. You messed up by feeling it, so it doesn't matter if you sin. That's not true. Sin and temptation are different things. We're going to pick up in verse 6. So we're going to see how Joseph was tempted. And we're going to look at specifically how does he react to get kind of our five points about temptation. Um, I want to be clear here. These are points about temptation, not just sexual temptation. This applies to any gamut of temptation in your life. Temptation to greed, to lust, to gluttony, to envy, to murder, to anger, to hatred, to gossip, to anything that you're tempted to do, this applies to you, all right? So how does Joseph react as he's tempted by Potiphar's wife? Verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife. Let's pause there. Number one, in temptation, What's Joseph do? He refuses. Refusal is an establishing of the will. Let me make this more clear. Joseph's not in the realm of desire. He's not saying, what do I want? What do I feel? What do I like? No, Joseph is establishing his will. He's leaning on his character. He's saying, I will not do that. I refuse to do that. It's a choice of the will, not a choice of desire. Number one, he refuses. 
But he um, refused and said, that's going to be key. We're going to look at what, what Joseph said. So pick it up in verse, uh, verse 8. He said, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. He's talking to Potiphar's wife. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Number two, Joseph speaks truth. When we battle temptation, our first step is to establish our will. I will not do that. I will not walk down that road. I will not look at that. I will not eat that. I will not talk about that. I will not. After Joseph establishes his will, as temptation comes towards him, he speaks truth. As you battle temptation, your voice is powerful to bring down lies of the enemy. Not just thoughts. There's something that's activated in us in faith when we speak. Like that. There's something in you that comes alive when you say, that's the word of God. I'll sit on that. Because what the enemy does all day is like waves in the ocean, he just hammers you and hammers you and hammers you. And when you speak, you're saying, no, I won't listen. You have no power here. Be silent, be calm, storm, be quiet. Joseph speaks truth. Verse 10. And as he spoke to Joseph, as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. Number one, I just want to point out that Joseph is facing this temptation day after day. Something that's happening over and over and over and over and over again. Do you face temptations like that? Over and over. God's not good. God's not for you. God doesn't love you. Look at that. Eat that. Talk like this. Go here. Go there. Find your hope in this. Find your hope in that. Over and over and over, and we just feel worn down. We've entered into phase two of Joseph's battling this temptation, and I think this is pivotal like this is huge joseph has already established his will and he's already established his foundation which is truth and now he's battling out of that but notice that he doesn't restate his will and he doesn't speak truth instead what does he do number three he doesn't even listen to her when we face the same temptation over and over and over, and we already know what the truth is, and we're already refusing to walk in that sin, we don't have to repeat those. Now we just stop listening. The enemy wants to, to invite you sometimes into a conversation. And so all day long, you're battling just with truth. Like, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. And then you spend time talking through all the truths. That's really good, but there's a point where you know what's true. 
Stop listening to the temptation. Stop having a conversation. That's where he gets us. We start to reason. We start to say, well, that's not true. And then Satan says, is it really? Did God really say that? And then what do we do? We start to flirt with temptation. That does sound appealing. This apple, I I should eat the from the apple of the tree of life. This sounds like a good idea. No, step three is he just doesn't even listen to this temptation, which prevents him from going to step four, which he doesn't even flirt with it. Says he won't lie beside her. Not that he won't sleep with her, but he won't even get close to the idea of the sin. When Satan tricks us into long conversations, he starts to say, did God really say that? Is God really looking out for your good? Because, man, this would feel really good. You should do this. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I can just have just a little. I won't eat all the apple. I'll just take a little bit. I struggle with gluttony, and there's a whole cake before us. I won't have all the cake, but three pieces, that sounds nice. And so we nibble, and we grab, and we flirt with temptation, and at that point, Satan's already won. It's just a matter of time now. If that's you right now, there is an exit ramp. (laughs) It's called walking in the light. You don't have to eat the whole cake. You don't have to walk in sin. If you've been flirting with temptation for a while, you can walk away now. Get in the light. Get in the light with sin. Uh, Joseph doesn't flirt with temptation. Number five. Lastly, he doesn't, he just doesn't even give in. And I think this is a sequence. If it just said he wouldn't be with her, I think we would have missed some valuable strategies to fight sin. This is more of a result of steps one through four than just one more step. If you're missing one of these pieces of fighting temptation, you're missing a pivotal part of the foundation it is to fight temptation. If you're flirting with temptation, the ground that you're standing on is not strong enough to hold you. It takes all of this to fight temptation. All right, let's look at these all together. So one and two are phase one. What he's doing in number one is he's refusing. This is an attitude. This is a choice of the will. This is a choice of character. It's not a desire-based choice. It's not, do I want to do that or do I not want to do that? It's, it's a choice of, no, I will not do that. I choose this. Number two, he speaks truth, which lays the foundation for his battle. Once he's established those two things, he moves on to the everyday battling of sin where he won't listen, he won't flirt, and he won't give in. Some of you have been battling the same temptation for all of your life, and you're just worn out. Man, do I have to do I have to keep battling that? It would be so much easier to stop. And we get so downtrodden and so beat up and so overwhelmed. 
I think here's why. Because we look at lists like this, this this is probably just a different form of something you've already heard of, a strategy you've already taken, plans you've already written down. Just use different words for it. So why are we still so beat up? Why are we still so overwhelmed? Why is it so hard? We've asked the question of how he fought. We didn't ask why. What was his motivation? What drove him? Why was he willing to even fight temptation? I think that some of us have the wrong motivation when we fight temptation and we find that that motivation is failing us. We find that it's not enough. So let's look at Joseph's motivation. We already read it. We're going to put it back up here. Pick it up in verse 8. Behold, because of, my ma- because of me, my master, this is his motivation. Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge, and he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against? Some of you know the answer before we get there. Oftentimes, our motivation to fight temptation will come from something or someone other than God. And probably, I wish I had edited this. This word in here, actually, between our and motivation, needs to be the word primary. Oftentimes, our primary motivation to fight temptation will come from something or someone other than God. So why do I say primary? Joseph just listed all the reasons why he's motivated by Potiphar. And that's okay. It's okay for you and I to be motivated to not sin by our spouses. It's okay to be motivated to not sin because we don't want to ruin our kids' lives. It's okay to be motivated to not agree with temptation because of of the church, because of our church body because of our position, because of leadership. There's many good reasons to fight temptation. But there can only be one primary motivation that will not leave you frustrated, angry, confused, disappointed, or just trying harder. And Joseph knows what it is. What is it? How then... Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He finds his primary motivation for fighting temptation in God. We often make people and things bigger than God. I I was seeing a counselor a couple months back, and... um, Went up to them and talked to him for, I don't know, it was an hour, our first session up in Philly. And he just listens and maybe asks seven questions, and I just talked the whole time. And we get to the end of the time, and he says, I want you to go buy a book. It's called When People Are Big and God Is Small. I think you have a fear of man issue. And I said, no, 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 no. 
I don't have a fear of man issue. Have you met me? I'm outgoing. I'm strong. I don't have a fear of man issue. He said, okay, okay, okay. He says, just take notes this week of all the times you feel overwhelmed. That's why I was seeing him. I just felt overwhelmed in life. I said, okay, I'll take, I'll take notes this week over when I feel overwhelmed. So I write down that whole week of all the times I feel overwhelmed. You know, my wife would see me on my phone. What are you doing? I'm writing down I feel overwhelmed. Get to the end of the week and go back into the counseling session. The first words out of my mouth are, you're right. I have a fear of man issue. Everything I wrote down had to do with people's opinions about me. What my wife thought of me, what I thought of me, what others thought of me, what my coworkers thought of me, what my church might think of me if blah, 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 blah. So-and-so asked for a meeting, and I'm sure they're going to leave the church. I was overwhelmed. They just wanted to say good sermon. I realized, like, I have a fear of man issue. I don't think that's just me, though. I think in some capacity, whether it's fear of man or something else, we make things bigger than God. My counselor asked me, like, where do you find, like, what, whose opinion matters the most to you? Who are you most worried about disappointing? And so I listed my wife and my church and myself, and that could rotate, and one of those could be number three at any time, and... And he said, well, where's God in that? I was like, whoa, buddy, I'm a pastor, okay? I know about God. I'm like, honestly, God's like over here. Like, my list is here, and God's just kind of watching. And that's how I felt. And I, I didn't even know it. Oftentimes, we make people and things way bigger than God. When we find our primary motivation in something other than God, we serve that person or thing as God. Husbands, when you decide not to lust just only because of your wife, that's a good motivation, but it should not be your primary motivation. Women, same thing. If you're not lusting after men just because of your husband, that should not be your primary motivation. If you're not addicted to a substance just because you don't want to lose your job or lose your family or, or go to jail. Those are good motivations. But it should never be your primary motivation. Joseph could have found his motivation from, uh, to not be with Potiphar's wife from Potiphar, but instead what he got was that he had a, an appropriate fear of God. He had an appropriate fear of God. Inevitably, when we place someone other than God above God and we're motivated by them primarily, we will end up resenting, feeling frustrated with, or falling back on a performance lie. And the scary thing is, if you're good at this, you might not even know it. If you're good at performing for your spouse, for your kids, for your coworkers, for your church, and that's replaced God, and you're just so good at performing, 
It might take you a second to realize that you've replaced God with something else. That's what the Pharisees did, right? They were really good at performing. Man, they were so good. And how does Jesus feel about the Pharisees? What's he call them, remember? Brood of vipers, whitewashed walls. Not good things. Don't be a Pharisee. We will end up resenting the thing that we elevate to God because you will never be good enough. You'll never perform hard enough. And if you do, you'll turn into a Pharisee. So Joseph had an appropriate fear of the Lord. Where do we get that? We get that from Proverbs 8, I'm sorry, 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the first step of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Joseph had a fear of the Lord. It's wise to fear God instead of others. I want to tie wisdom and fear together, just like that, that passage in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's wise. It's a wise, smart, good choice to fear God instead of fearing of others. So what does it mean to fear God? Do we, like, walk around like this? Like, is it okay for me to step? You know, not that one? Okay, this one, okay. Like, what does it mean to fear God? Let's look at what John Piper has to say. It means fearing to seek refuge and joy and hope anywhere other than in God. It means keeping before our eyes what a fearful prospect it is to stop trusting and depending on God to meet our needs. Joseph, in the middle of his hardship, could have looked at his circumstances and said, I'm going to find joy, hope, and refuge in Potiphar's wife. In the middle of our hardship, when temptation comes, we can find our joy, our hope, and our refuge in something other than God. To have a fear of the Lord means to be afraid of doing that. To be so aware of the, the majesty, the power, the goodness of God that we would be scared of choosing something above him. The fear of the Lord, he goes on to say, is therefore the beginning of wisdom, not only in the sense that is the first step in a wise way to live. All right, track with me here. There's a pathway of wisdom. There's a smart way for us to live. The first step to get on that path is wisdom. but also in the sense that all the later characteristics of wisdom flow from the fear of the Lord like a river flows from a spring. If you're wondering why you're down this road of life and there's, there's things in your life that are ruling you besides God, it might be because you don't have an appropriate fear of the Lord. It's wise to fear God instead of others. Two more thoughts. Oftentimes, we give in to temptation. Oftentimes, when we give in to temptation, it's because we have a fear of man issue instead of a healthy fear of God. How many of you, like Joseph, at least 
as it's written in the Bible, lived a seemingly perfect life. Your hands aren't up. Joseph is portrayed as a Christ figure. The Bible doesn't say he sinned or made bad choices. I'm sure there was sin in his life. He's not Jesus. But the, the Bible portrays him as choosing all the good things, all the right ways. I don't know about you, but I know in my life I have not chosen all the right things. I have not walked in all the right ways. I've found myself following after sin. And where does that leave me? We can compare ourselves to Joseph all day, and we will find ourselves wanting. We will not quite be good enough. We are not Jesus. So what do we do when we find ourselves wanting? 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We get the story of Joseph so that we won't sin. We get these strategies about fighting sin so that we won't do it. But if anyone does sin, we have a what? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Guys, this morning, there's probably a lot of you that walked in those doors carrying the weight of your sin, carrying the weight of your mask, carrying the weight of your life choices and saying, man, I did not plan to get here. And now you're here, what do you do? You have an advocate. Jesus is standing next to the Father, and on your behalf, he's saying, save that one. That's mine over there. Father, I love him. I love her so much. Rescue them. And on your behalf, he's going after you. When you're caught in sin, when you find that you've given in to temptation, you have Jesus Christ your advocate, advocating on your behalf. Chris Laws uh, gave the image of, we'll wrap up with this thought. Beforehand, we prayed together. Chris Laws gave the image of a dark room. And if somebody just all of a sudden turns on a flashlight and puts it in your face, what's your reaction? Get that out of my face. But after a few seconds, your eyes adjust. And we usually prefer the light. If you've been in a pattern of sin, it's going to feel like that flashlight popping on if you decide to confess your sins. If you decide to walk in the light, it's going to be, ah, shut that off. I'm not really like that. Shut that light off. I'm pretending to be something different that shows who I really am today, guys, all that matters is that you have Jesus Christ, an advocate on your side, wanting to redeem you, wanting to save you, to not leave you how he found you. I want to have you stand up. We're going to sing kind of a compilation of a few songs, old hymns, one new one. If you can't stand, that's okay. You can also stay seated. I want to pray for you real quick. So Jesus, we ask...
that we would get a giant view of you, that we would walk out of here with an appropriate fear of you, and at the exact same time that we would know that we have an advocate who's in heaven pleading our cause before God the Father. that in and of ourselves we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are made alive together with him. So Jesus, we ask for your resurrection power in the areas where we're broken. We ask for uh, strength to fight sin. We ask for perseverance in the middle of hardship. And even though we don't know how our story will turn out. I pray that we would see your favor on us day after day. Please help us, oh God. Amen. Let's sing this together. I feel like it would be appropriate to sing this chorus that we sung a little earlier. <laughs>